I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through, actually we'll read 1 through 7. Our focus is verses 6 and 7. So Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 7. Chapters 1 and 2, of course, still deal with the sovereignty of Christ. And not until we get to chapters 3 and 4, we talk about our submission to Christ. Although that submission is already being echoed here in the first part. But really the emphasis is on the sovereignty and the sufficiency of Christ. Chapters 1 and 2. Young church, new believers in Colossae. Much hope, a lot of order, much growth. And Paul is really, really concerned for them at the same time as we see in verse 1, chapter 2. Colossians 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all riches of the false assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent or away in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And these are the words of our text this morning. Our focus is verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So verses uh, 6 and 7. That's why I entitled it, Continue in him. Walk in him means to continue in him to live out your faith in him, to continue to do so. So congregation, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, and if you look at verses 1, 2, and 3, just very briefly, what is the apostle doing? He's showing his great concern, like a parent for a child, you could say, or for his children, or for her children. He shares his great concern for this young church, a church of new believers in the, in the city of Colossae. And in verses 5 and 6, or sorry, in verses 4 and 5, he gives the reason why he has such angst for them, such a conflict for them, such a, it's born out of love and out of the grace of God for them. He says in verses 4 and 5 that they are receiving a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure from the culture around them to adapt and to compromise their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're tempting the church to kind of walk away from Jesus just a little bit, little by little. Still have Jesus, but again, starting to tempt them to walk away from Jesus. You know the amazing thing about these teachers? They speak very smoothly. Oh, they speak well. They speak very convincingly and persuasively. Oh, they must have the spirit of Christ. Paul says, no, they don't. They don't have Christ. Or they're compromising Christ. 
And you know, in the midst of that, Paul is so thankful to the Lord. And he, he, he rejoices, he says, to see their good order. He rejoices in their steadfast faith. They're growing in Christ in their newfound faith. But he says, but never take your faith in Jesus for granted. Don't ever take it for granted. Because when we take it for granted, that's when we can become the most susceptible and the most vulnerable to the enemy. They need to be really aware of the real threat of those who want to take them away from Christ, that they begin to adapt and compromise with the, the culture around them. And it's in that context in verses 6 and 7, Paul encourages them to... You could say immunize. We know what immunizations are, right? They immunize against disease. He says, I want you to immunize yourself against these threats. And this is how you do it. Verse 6. As therefore you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord. Beautiful terms for Christ. Christ, Jesus the Lord. The one who is Savior, the one, the anointed one. He is Lord. That was their confession. He says, if you have, as you have received him, so walk in him. And notice in verse 6, there are two parts to this verse. Okay, Receiving Christ Jesus the Lord is only the beginning of the Christian life. That's not the end of the Christian life. That's the beginning of the Christian life. You know, so too many Christians are content to stop right there. They stop right there. They don't think they need to grow any further. They have Christ. They don't need to learn anymore. Some who call themselves Christians, for example, continue to do puja, worship, in the Gurdwaras, and in the Hindu temples. This must not be. This must not be, because this is so displeasing to the Lord. As you have received Christ, so continue to walk in. That's the other part here, isn't it? Notice the imperative in what we what comes next here. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue in him. Keep focus. Don't go this way. Don't go this way. Straight. Continue in Jesus. Continue in Christ. Continue in him. Grow in him. That's what walking signifies, right? When you walk... When you walk, there's progress. There's, there's movement forward, isn't there? There's growth. And when I'm in Jesus, if I have received Jesus, Christ the Lord, no longer may I walk in my own way as I desire, right? I have received Jesus Christ the Lord. I must walk in him. And whatever I do, wherever I go, he, you could say, is my environment. Not just Sundays, but seven days a week. He's my, Jesus is my environment. He's the sphere in which I walk daily, 24-7. He's the one who purchased me in his love. He's the one who bought me with his blood. And therefore, he's the one who owns me. He's Lord. Lord over all. And therefore, as a believer, I say, Lord, 
I belong to you, body and soul, in life and in death. You notice if you go back to 1 verse 10, Paul talks about uh, walking worthily. He says, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And so, yeah, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. Uh, it's, it's a call to give careful attention with your life and the call to continue in Jesus. Don't get sidetracked. Keep the focus. Walk in him. Continue in him. And you say, well, how is this possible? And here in verse 7, Paul just gives great encouragement. And that's the rest of our sermon. He gives great encouragement and he shows how that's possible in four ways. First of all, he says, having been rooted in him. That should be the actual wording. Having been rooted in him. The word used for rooted, of course, when we think of rooted, what do we think of? We think of trees, don't we? It's used of a tree which, which has its roots deep into the soil. And just as a tree is rooted deeply in the soil and draws its nourishment for life from its roots, so the Christian, so the body of Christ, the church, is rooted in Christ. He's a source of life. He's a source of strength. Now, the other thing we need to pay attention here, you know, these even the tenses... They're inspired by God. They're given by God for our encouragement. So it's a very important way of saying it. Having been rooted, it's not something, um, it's not something you have done. It's not something that we do. <laughs> we didn't root ourselves. You have been rooted. By whom? You didn't root yourself. You have been rooted by the sovereign grace of God. It's his act, his, it's his wonderful acts in Christ Jesus. He took you out of that darkness that you were walking in and he planted you. He planted the congregation of Colossa in the soil uh, of Christ's death and resurrection. You know that having been rooted literally means it's a once for all time action. It's a once for all time planting of the people in Christ. It doesn't happen again and again and again. That's been done, that's complete, once for all in Christ. <laughs> Our forever encouragement is that the congregation is rooted in the death and resurrection, in the soil of Christ's death and resurrection itself. The rooting took place when? When you confess, when you believe, when you received by faith all that is yours in Christ. When you trusted in Christ Jesus, the Lord. And the result is, the result of that is that you continue to be rooted in Jesus. And therefore, nothing can separate you from those roots. If you're a true church, if we're a true church, true believers, nothing, nothing ever can separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice the roots are in whom? in the inconquerable Christ. 
the one who died, who arose again from the dead. None other has done that. Having been firmly rooted where? In him. The nourishment, this life is, the supernatural life, you could say, this new life is, is derived from a relationship that God has established with us in Christ. And that's by his choice and by his sovereign act of grace. Romans 6, 4, and 5, you know, speaks of our being planted together with Christ. It talks about us being planted in the soil of his death and resurrection. I've been baptized um, into his death, been buried with him, raised to a new life. It speaks this language of planting, having been planted, having been rooted in Christ. You know, the true roots of a tree sink deep into the earth for nourishment and stability. So too, you know, our faith should go deep into Christ, into the sound doctrine. Oh, that's, that's a word people don't like, doctrine. A lot of people don't like it. Don't give me doctrine. Just tell me what to do. No, no. It's digging deep into the sound doctrine, the sound teaching the solid food of, of God's word. Those are the roots that are going to build you. Those are the roots that are going to establish you. Those are the roots that are going to make you content and live out your life with thanksgiving. Those are the three things that follow in verse 7, right? You'll be built up by those roots. You'll be established by those roots. And it'll overflow in thanksgiving. So that's so basic. You have been rooted. That's there. Now, he gives you two means of grace, his word and the sacraments. Remember the sacraments, what they are? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. God uses those means and the preached word to establish, to strengthen our roots in him. And there's a story of a man who had a pear tree in the garden. And in his 15 years there, it kind of sounds like my house, but anyway, in his 15 years there, uh, the pear tree only produced one pear, and it was not a nice-looking pear. The next year, someone took over the property, and in one year, that pear tree just produced piles of pears, a tree full of pears. Why was it? Because he, this new the successor, this new property owner, he took care of the roots. He tended the roots and its connection with the soil. It's a similar to being rooted in Christ, right? Those roots are there, but they need to be tended. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you my word to establish, to make those roots deep. They dig deeper and deeper into the soil. I'm going to take care of that through my word, but also through the sacraments, right? The stamp, the table, the bread and the wine. Those are his means to strengthen the roots. Those are the means he intends to strengthen your relationship with him, to stand firm in the faith. A tree with shallow roots. I've seen that in storms. Sometimes you see huge trees just toppled over and you realize, oh, it didn't have a lot of roots. It fell right over. So if you would withstand the pressures of those that want to slowly take you away from Christ, if you want to withstand the pressures of, 
adapting and compromising to the culture around us, you know, tend to those roots. And tend to those roots by the means that even God has given us. He says, okay, I'm going to help you look after it. I'm going to use my word and the sacraments to tend them. Having been rooted in him, having been rooted in him, that's why you can continue in him. It's a command, right? Walk in him. It's a very strong, it comes with authority, right? Continue in him. Yeah, you've been rooted. And so that's why, that's why you're able to continue in him by the grace of God and by the Spirit's working because you've been rooted in Christ. We need not be swayed this way or that way. When we do, it's not necessary. It's just not necessary at all because we have the roots in Christ. But, you know, having been rooted, there you see some of the blessed results of it. When we tend to those roots, you're built up. That's Paul's next phrase there in verse 7. Having been rooted and built up in him. You notice here the Apostle Paul now moves from planting the roots underground to building what shows above the ground. You may say he moves from an image of a tree now to an image of a house. Literally, it means continually being built up. Don't, don't slack in it. It's a lifetime process. Learning Christ, walking in Christ, you'll never complete it in this life. It's an ongoing walk. It's an ongoing discovering the riches and the beauty and the, the greatness and the, the delight of Christ himself continually being built up. So you take, for example, the bricklayer. Layer after layer after layer. One row upon the next row upon the next row. It just seems like it takes forever. <laughs> well, that's what it means to be continually being built up in Christ. And you know what? The beautiful thing, it rests on an unshakable foundation. 1 Corinthians 3, 15, talks about the house being on a firm foundation, which is Christ himself. To the young church in Colossae, Apostle Paul adds, walk in him, constantly being built up in him. That means spiritually, Spiritually, there's progress, there's growth. Sometimes it wanes. Sometimes we feel that in our lives there's the valleys. But overall, by the grace of God, there's progress. You know, it's the same word. Build up here is the same word where we get the word edify. How often do we not come across the word edifying one another with the word of God? Right? It's the exact same word. Edify or to build up. Take, for example, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. No dirty talk, no bad talk, no sinful talk. But what is good for necessary advocation, what is good for building up all. And that's the thing, right? Sin tears down. It always does. These festivities, these pride festivities, they tear down. They really do. But Christ builds up. In the beauty of truth, he builds up. His word builds up. It edifies. 
You know, it's so much easier to tear, 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 tear down. Look how easy it is to tear down the family. Look how easy it is to tear down the body of Christ and to tear it apart. That's so easy. Think of a child, right, who wants to build a nice house out of blocks, his toy blocks. And the kid comes along and kicks it. Done. Broken. It's torn down. But boy, he'll say, hey, it took me two days to build this in a very nice way. That's what it means. It takes a lot of work, right, by the grace of God to build up, to build up in Christ. Again, pay attention to the tense of the verb here. Being built up in him. <laughs> Who, who's the one that's working in us? It's the one who is outside of us. It's the spirit. Right? The power that brings about this building up is coming from outside of us. It's the Holy Spirit. And this is such a comfort, such an encouragement for us. Because when we see the sin within, we think, how is that possible? But the beautiful thing is the one who raised Christ from the dead is that work in you, the body of Christ, doing that same kind of work. Ephesians 1.19, raising his body from the dead, nourishing in that new life, that same energy. At the same time, having made a good beginning, we must not become complacent and stop there. Right? True, we have the power of the Spirit, but we also need to depend upon the Spirit. And for that, we have a responsibility, don't we? We have the responsibility to continue growing, learning, applying. It's there. It's given. But it's our responsibility then to be under the reign of God's Word, the showers. We depend on His power so that we can participate in this work of building up, being built up in Christ. Think of Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, this way and that way, but speaking the truth in love. We may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. You know, this is beautiful work, the beautiful work of Christ by his spirit and the continual call to submit to that to be built up in him. Notice, in this ongoing work of being built up, we are being built up where? In him, the head, Christ. The firm foundation, the solid rock. He's the environment by which we speak, live, and move, and have our being. Building our lives on anything else is like building on the sand. I think some of you children know that song, right? The wise man, sorry, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, right? The floods came, the storm came, and it crashed into the house. And what happened to the house on the sand? It fell down flat. The only house that will stand is the house that's being built upon Christ. And the beautiful thing is the church will outlast this world. That's the only thing that will outlast this world. The gates of hell shall never prevail against it. When the heavens and the earth are shaken up on the day of judgment, you will be secure in Christ. You are secure in Christ, built up 
in him. Continue in him. Having been rooted in him, that's why you can continue being built up in him and more. Third, being established in the faith. What's it mean to be established? We talk about being established in our business, right? You, um, you, you, there's a certain firmness, there's a certain stable or stability to that business. But here, Paul, Apostle Paul talks about being sure, being firm, being unshakable in your faith, being certain when it comes to the Christian faith. Because after all, it is the truth. There is no other truth. It is the truth. We are being established in what? In sound doctrine. In sound teaching. Think of that song that comes to mind. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith. Where? In his excellent word. Continue in him, says the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. Being established where? In the faith. As you grow, as we grow in our walk in Christ, trusting him, being nourished by his word and spirit, the more established in the faith we become. But again, you know, it's, it's not from us, is it? Ultimately, thank God for the work of his spirit. Being established in the faith. By whom? By the power outside of us. The Holy Spirit. Again, you know, many Christians don't want doctrine. True, sometimes doctrine can be presented in a boring way, but that's not the fault of the doctrine. Many don't want doctrine, and as a result, their lives become so unstable. They suffer. They're not assured. And they're not assured of their faith in Christ because they didn't want to spend the time in doctrine. Many say, you know, give me this little book, this tiny little book, the five steps to a good marriage. That's all I need. Or give me the four steps to raising my children really, really well. I don't have the time to establish myself in the doctrine of the faith. I just need those little quick snips and, you know, kind of like the McDonald's approach to life. Quick, easy, done. And, you know, that's the, the mood of the church today. We don't want to work hard at it. We don't want to give our lives to it. We don't, and, and we suffer because as a result, we're not being established in it. And therefore we suffer not having that firmness, that stability, that assurance. Being established in the faith means being established in the sound doctrine of Christ. You know, Paul was really preaching a lot of doctrine, a lot of teaching to the Colossians. If you look at 1 verse 23, he speaks of continuing in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Not just receiving him, but walking, growing in him. 1 Corinthians 15, the, re the great resurrection chapter. Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why so? Well, first of all, it glorifies God. This is what he commands. This is what he wants. Second of all, the attacks against your faith are all around us. And we need to withstand them. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uses this sound doctrine 
to enable us to grow in our confidence and our certainty that we're not blown over by the winds of change. We stand firm with a faith that cannot be shaken. We have an answer to those who would mock us. We have an answer by which we undermine their sand, their houses which are built on the sand, so that it collapses. That's what we have in mind, by the way. When we have, for example, the children's catechism. You know, think about it. It's instruction. It's doctrine. It's teaching doctrine. It's already forming the hearts and the minds of children to be deeply rooted in Christ. Simple, but beautiful, full. Your children are being established in the faith. That's one of the purposes why we have the Heidelberg Catechism. That's one of the reasons why we teach the Heidelberg Catechism. It was since the time of the Reformation. The church felt so lost. They didn't know what to believe. They didn't know which way to go. And out of that, the church became convinced, oh, they need to hear a system of truth where they can be comforted, edified, and strengthened in the holy faith, in the truth of Christianity. Notice verse 7, being established in the faith as you have been taught. That's the precondition. As you have been taught, you've been established in the faith. Being established in the faith. By the way, that's how we establish strong families, strong marriages, strong families. Not the quick 20-page book on five steps, but being established in the Word of God, in Christ, continue in Christ, being rooted in Him, avail yourself of Christ, being built up in Him, being established in the faith. And sometimes people say, how come I'm not so thankful? And of course, we all have periods in our lives where we just don't feel that gratitude in our lives, that thankfulness in our lives. But this is the secret What's the secret to abounding, to overflowing with thanksgiving? Christ. Having been rooted in him, built up in him, established in the faith. That's the secret to overflowing with thanksgiving. That leads us to the last part of verse 7. It's even in a different tense there. <laughs> Continuing in thanksgiving. Even as you're growing and as you're being built up and as you're being established. Continue him bounding in thanksgiving. It doesn't mean things are always happy. It doesn't mean there's no sad things. But in the midst of it all, you have Christ who can, and, and he assures us that no one and nothing can steal or rob us of our faith. We return again and again to the cross, don't we? Out of sheer wonder, why Jesus? Why did you do this for me? Why did you Pay the perfect price on the cross. You, the sinless one, why did you do that for me, I who do not deserve it? And more than that, why did you take it upon yourself to also cover me with your righteousness, your perfect righteousness, so that I can stand firm in the day of judgment, not because of who I am, because of Christ. Oh, he's worth it all. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Only thing I can do is take up the cup of salvation. The salvation is given me and just show him thanks. 
Yeah, so take the time. It's never wasted time. It never is. Take the time to grow through daily devotions around the table. How many of us read the Bible every day? Every day. So, so important. Even children learn a little song. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. It's true. Every day, read a chapter. You can get through the whole Bible in one year, reading three chapters a day. And I think the Psalms twice over. Really important, just to strengthen, feed on Christ. Grow through Bible study, regular worship, receiving instruction. Colossians 3, 15 and 16, Paul says it this way. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Don't be stingy towards the word. Let, let Christ do his work. Let it, let it dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Walk in him, having been rooted in Christ, being built up in him, being established in him. Make the time. You know, I never heard an older person saying, you know one thing I regret in my life? I regret that I spent too much time in the Word of God. I, I regret that I spent too much time with my children around the table. I regret I spent too much time in the church. I regret many other things, but not this. Some among us here are first-generation believers. Beautiful. See the work of God's grace. You are learning to walk in him in your marriage, in raising your children, in your work. How you relate, how do I relate to my unbelieving family and friends? These are new things in many ways. And may you not lose the joy and the delight of being built up and established. You are an example to many who have been Christians for generations. You're an example of joy of love, of faithfulness. Some of us here are second, third, fourth generation Christians. There's the other danger, to become complacent, lazy, or bored, bored with the teaching, bored with Christ, bored with his word, and we give up learning on how to walk. And that becomes really dangerous because then we start accommodating and adapting to the pressures of society around us. Don't lose the delight of walking in him. Continue in him, being built up in him, being established in the faith. Why? Three reasons. God's glory is the first one. That should be enough in itself. God's glory is the first reason. Second of all, is that others who are perishing in the darkness in uncertainty and despair, for the sake of others, that they may come to know there is truth. May they see it in the bastion of truth, the church. And finally, that you may grow in stability 
and also in the joy and assurance of your own salvation. So yeah, for God, for others, for you. It's a blessed walk. This walk, hard, disciplined, but it's a blessed walk. Think of Psalm 1. We hope to sing it. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in season, and whatever he does shall prosper. Psalm 92, 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of the Lord. Amen.